third-party cookie support hasn't existed in a consistent manner in Safari in, you know, probably like 10 years, right? So ITP um, was released about two and a half, almost three years ago now. So that's when it became very unstable, but Safari hasn't supported third-party cookies in the same way as the other browsers, probably since like 2010, 2011. Welcome to the Programmatic Digest podcast, where we cover top programmatic and digital news. I'm your host, Ellen Parker, your very own programmatic sensei. Thank you for joining us. And before we get into today's conversation, please do me those three small favors. Follow us on Apple iTunes and leave us a review. Like and comment on social media. We are currently on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and very soon to be on YouTube, y'all. And finally, sign up to the newsletter on the website, programmaticdigest.com. It sends you one reminder every new episode or once a month as a recap. Welcome back to the podcast, Nish. We're so excited to have you back. Thanks for having me. So a couple of years ago, pre-pregnancy, actually, I was pregnant when we, we did our previous recording last year and I re- I listened to it again and I could tell that I was pregnant because I was out of breath half of the time. (laughs) So this episode is going to be much better, I think, in terms of like the breathing. But thank you so much for coming back. For those who don't know you, give us a quick introduction about who you are, what you do, the magic you do on a day to day. Yeah, so I am Group Director of Technology and Operations at Zaxis, which is part of Group M and WPP. Um, in my day-to-day, my team handles ad operations as well as data transfer, uh, data ETL, things along those lines. And so I've been at 24-7, I started at 24-7 Real Media, which merged with Saxis uh, about five or six years ago. Um, so I've been in that, uh, at the company and that family for a little, coming up 14 years this October. I started in tech support for the ad server um, open ad stream that we used to run at 24-7 um, and then moved into a client solutions role um, where we were developing custom solutions um, on top of the ad server. After we merged with Saxis, I moved into technology and operations um, and now I head up the group. That's amazing. Thanks for the introduction. How have things, uh, you know, the last year affected uh, your team or your your day-to-day? I can't imagine it's been easy with the uh, the pandemic? Yeah. So I personally have been working remotely uh, since like 2014, 2015. So me personally, my day-to-day work life didn't change a ton. Mm-hmm. Um, what I did find is right pre-pandemic, not everyone knew how to use video conferencing. So now I'm really happy that like whenever there's a call, everybody knows how everything works. That's <laughs> uh, definitely yeah. uh, been a huge benefit. I think at Saxis, we've definitely taken it in stride, right? So we had uh, almost a year ago to the day, I think it was a Thursday, we did like a remote uh, work from home test run. Um, and then the following Monday, we were totally remote and we have been for uh, the past year now. But um, oh. I think we've really taken it in stride. Uh, most of the teams have, have um, you know, been very successful in, in transitioning to remote work. Obviously in digital, right, like most of what we do day-to-day is is not really location dependent, but we've definitely, right, like over the year that, that the sense of community that you have from being in an office has definitely suffered a little bit. So we've been doing some cool things to try to uh, reignite that spirit, um, you know, while we're still virtual for, you know, the foreseeable future. 
That is really cool to hear. Um, and yeah, I was also working from home and working remote before working from home was sexy and popular. Um, so to me, it was just like, okay, guys, what's going on? But then my husband had to work with a, a from home and we had to share offices. So that was a very, very unique experience. Um, so I mean, we survived. He's, you know, we both survived and we're continuing to surviving. So now let's talk about, so last, last you were on the podcast, you chatted about an article you, uh, you wrote in the ad exchanger and it was when Google had first announced the cookie deprecation, but now they had another announcement. So before we get too much into Google's announcement, because we can get lost into translation there, can you, uh, refresh our memory about what that article was about, but also specifically the proposed solution that you had, because I think it's really interesting. Sure. Uh, so what we talked about then was a yeah. browser-based identity solution. Mm -hmm. um, so this would be something along the lines of the browser generating some sort of identity token that would be used to pass your user identity amongst various uh, ad tech providers, content providers, things like that. Um, that would aim to rectify the, the situation with the loss, loss of third-party right. cookies um, and would also serve to help cut down on a lot of the multiple logins, having to register, things along those lines. So you compared it to device targeting, right? How yeah, so it would be similar to a device ID where okay. there's a common uh, identifier that would be passed across um, not just your browser, but other apps that would, you know, would would be on your system that you would be passing data from. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so now wh what's the latest update? Do you think it still makes sense? Uh, Google announcing that they're not going to move forward with finding, I guess, finding a solution to their cookie deprecation. So how how is like uh, first of all how do you feel about it and then second sure. how the latest update <laughs> so do I think it still makes sense yes okay. do I think it's realistic based on what's transpired in the last year uh, probably not <laughs> um, especially with uh, so the you know we're in the third week of March here um, yeah. with the with Google's news last week uh, two weeks ago now maybe yeah, um, that they yeah that they wouldn't be supporting any sort of third-party PII based identifiers mm -hmm. um, it, it's definitely unlikely that we'll see Google implement some sort of solution like that just because especially with the the maturity that we're seeing in the proposals that they're working on um, like with flock and turtle dove I think it's unlikely that they would introduce any sort of mechanism that that would allow you to you know identify our user specifically on the other side of it right like the uid 2.0 um proposals all still kind of fall in that realm so even though it's not browser-based you still get some of those the benefits of that common one-to-one -one identifier okay all right so there's a lot of so a lot of talk about i'm trying to stay focused here on the friday afternoon but um so um, let's talk to specifically to the audience that are a small to medium-sized brand or small to medium-sized agencies right um how do they receive all that information out there and execute because i think the number one thing about successful teams or successful individuals is all about the vision and the execution of the vision so with that said 
how would you, how do you talk to your team? How does your team get prepared for that? As a leader, uh, and I'm sure an amazing leader, how do you get your teams prepared to what's about to come, but also how to prepare their clients? Because Zaxis is a provider and I'm sure you have, you have a lot to say there, but how do we get prepared for this? Totally. So one of the things that we've been looking at is we're not in a cookie-less world today. So we have, we have, you know, let's say somewhere between 10 and I don't know, maybe 18 months before cookies actually get deprecated in Chrome. So we have that period to do a lot of testing and learning and figuring out what the actual impact is for a particular brand, right? So if you are doing 100% audience targeting that's based on third-party segments, Mm -hmm. obviously that impact is huge. If you're using a lot of first-party data, which may still be impacted, but there's a lot more ways to transport that first-party data even in a world where third-party cookies no longer exist. Mm -hmm. So if you're using a lot of that first-party data to, to activate your, the impact is, is probably not as great as in the third, if you're using 100% third party data. Um, so definitely understand what the impact is going to be to your particular tactics, your particular media, and also look at it by individual channel, right? We're not just talking about the end of cookies. We're also looking at a future with Apple's IDFA update that's in progress of rolling out now. So it's not just in browser, it's also in app that we're going to have to look at new paradigms of of how to operate. So before I get into the question, um, refresh your memory for me and the audience, because I like to blame the audience, but mainly it's for me, (laughs) about the type of changes IDFA is going to represent and the impact there. Sure. So today, if if you're on an iOS device, Mm -hmm. uh, there is an IDFA value that's generated by the device. Um, You can go into settings and you can reset it. You can turn it off manually right now. But as you go about browsing from app to app, um, this IDFA is is, uh, requested by the app from the system and is used across apps to do cross-app measurement, but it's also used to do cross-app retargeting um, and data collection as well. Okay, so now we won't... won't be able to track that. I mean, measure that. So yeah, so that would, so with Apple's pending change, uh, which is currently live in iOS 14.5 mm-hmm. in the beta. Um, and when that production version of that rolls out, probably in the next month or so, um, expect it to be widely released. But so now um, when an app wants to use your IDFA, um, it will, they'll be required to throw a prompt similar to the prompt you get if they want to use your camera or your mm-hmm. location. Um, the user will actually have to opt in and say, yes, allow this app to use my IDFA. Um, and then they'll be able to use that as they do today. What we're anticipating is with this, currently it's, a, it's an opt-out mechanism for to stop sharing your IDFA. In the new schema, it's going to be an opt-in mechanism. Um, and we're expecting, depending on who you talk to, right, there's very different viewpoints on what the opt-in rates will be. But historically, when we've looked at things like opt-in, it's been very low. Um, If you look at things like GDPR opt-in rates Mm -hmm. in Europe, they're not very encouraging. So we're assuming that IDFAs will more or less be unavailable almost completely or that it will be very sparse coverage. I remember that now. It used to be an opt-out. So now you'll automatically be opt-in. And if you want to be out of that, yep. then you'll have to manually opt out of it. So they switched it on us. So previously it was it was you had to go and opt out of the system and it was you were automatically uh-huh. opted in. 
And so in the new mechanism, you'll be opted out until you okay, opt gotcha. in. Okay, okay. So it's reversed there. Okay. So I guess it's a great question too for the next thing. So before we talked about IDFA, I want to, if you were in a, in a book, I would have highlighted some of the things you said. So I'm highlighting some of the things you said. So you said, we do have about a full year and a half, almost a year and a half to get prepared. And the way we can get prepared is, so talk about the impacted result, implement systems and test, test as test. So how are you testing? Yep. Have you already start, started testing on some of uh, on some of the campaign or client, or is that something you can share? If you cannot share, that's fine. But I'm like, just curious to know. Totally. So um, one of the spots that we've been testing, which is like a really good test ground is mm-hmm. Safari. Um, so cookie support, third-party cookie support hasn't existed in a consistent manner in Safari in, you know, probably like 10 years, right? So ITP um, was released about two and a half, almost three years ago now. So that's when it became very unstable, but Safari hasn't supported third-party cookies in the same way as the other browsers, probably since like 2010, 2011. Um, so a long while um, uh, to now, right? So Safari is a really good environment to test your current strategies and see where the impact will be. So if you're running audience-targeted campaigns, test out, break out a specific portion of your budget and test in Safari and see what the actual performance impacts are, right? Like, is the data that you're using really effective? Can you do without that data, right? Can you use alternate signals that you're currently using in Safari to replicate some of those tactics in Chrome? Mm -hmm. So you may look at things like contextual, you may look at using first-party data sets that you weren't necessarily activating before, Um, You might look at doing some publisher direct private marketplace deal so that you can rely on a publisher's categorization of context or audience. Got it. Wow, this is this is great. So definitely start testing now and testing in Safari could give us somewhat a vision or an idea of how yep. what impact. That's a great suggestion. Thank you for that. And um, so for first party data utilization there and customization, that's I'm a big fan of first party data. I think every strategy should include some leverage of your first party data. But for industry like uh, what is it, healthcare? Yeah, or pharma. And- yeah, pharma, yeah. Oh my gosh. It's really, really tricky to utilize first-party data. So for those type of clients, and I would hate to just tell some of my clients in pharma, like, let's just move out of Google into another platform. But if that's the, the foreseeable solution, then we'll do it, right? But is there any any advice there or recommendation to for pharma or healthcare or restricted industry? Yeah, we may have to look at the investing more in the walled gardens and places where some of those first party data assets are already prevalent. This is also where you can rely on outside of the walled gardens. Other publishers have their own first party data sets that you can rely on and still transact programmatically. So you're not cutting IOs to access a publisher. You can do it through private marketplace deals or through other programmatic channels that still allow you to access those publisher first party data sets. Okay, so the investment will have to continue being there because now we're moving away from the open internet or the open exchange into private marketplace or guarantee deals, et cetera. Yeah, a little bit. So the the real thing to remember is, is that while the landscape of how we target audiences is changing, Mm -hmm. um, there's work being done to replace it, whether it's the Unified ID 2.0 group that's looking to 
create uh, a new ID space through single sign-on and using first-party cookies, or when you're looking at the solutions that Google is proposing in the W3C um, with Flock, where you're not going to be able to target a one-to-one audience, but you'll still be able to target you know, a cohort, which will have similar characteristics to the way that you target an audience today. Okay. Got it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, that's what Shiv Gupta from the UF Digital was on a few episodes ago, and he kind of broke it down for us uh, then. And, and when we did that episode, it was before the latest announcement, but still. So how do you feel about um, somebody like UID 2.0? Do you, are you excited about it? I'm just trying to get to like your, your, your temperature on this. <laughs> I like, I mean, I think it's a, it's a good solution, right? Like the, the principles of it are sound. There are definitely scalability issues, right? Like a lot of, a lot of the underlying core structure relies on users logging into websites. Yeah. Um, today that percentage is very low. Uh, whether that changes, I think, so as you see an end to third-party cookies, I think you're going to see... Um, CPMs on some publishers go up as they're unable to target, have those audiences come through that they were previously. So you may see CPMs increase. You may see other things along those lines that are reactionary. And then at that point, I think you may see publishers take a drastic approach where you start seeing a lot more paywalls. You may see things along those lines that may ultimately even if it's not a paywall, it might be a sign-in wall, right? Where the content is no longer accessible unless you sign in. So if, you know, if we can see a great adoption of logged in users, then UID will, will definitely succeed. Mm-hmm. Um, with Google saying that they're not going to play in that space, um, it does put a little bit of damper on the UID yeah. 2.0 party, right? So um <laughs> You know, I think everybody was hoping that Google would come to the party and be a big participant. And I think that's the biggest impact of the statement, right? That like Google kind of closed the door and said they wouldn't be participating in things like this. So, so yeah, so Google's announcement does put a little bit of damper on it, but is UID a dead initiative? Most definitely not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, cause I am excited about it, but I do, I do want to hear more about it. I know that um, I see it promising for our industry uh, and also anything outside of Google that gives us an additional initiatives um, I get excited about. <laughs> um, so, um, so yeah, so thank you so much for sharing, man. I have so many questions and I know the audience are listening and we're, like I said, I'm just highlighting a lot of stuff that you're saying, but um, let's move on to the next segment, which is a little bit more fun. And because of us spending so much more time at home, I use this segment as more like of a chill segment where I ask questions such as if you had to share three things that you do every day that makes you like, okay, I'm accomplished, uh, whether it's just stepping outside, taking some air. And of course you've worked from home for a while. So you're probably like, oh yeah, I've been doing this, you know, before I started being sexy and popular again. <laughs> what what can you give as like a personal advice to the listener that is still maybe struggling with this whole thing or just like, what are three things you do that are really making you like, okay, I'm good. I'm zen. Uh, I mean, I'm sure everyone kind of starts with this and it's kind of probably cliche at this point, but I definitely, you know, like get out of your house for a little, like go, you know, walk around, you know, go like grab a coffee somewhere. If you're in a, in a place where you can do that, you know, just like, I think we 
you know, it's not just like before the pandemic in the before times, you know, working from home didn't mean I was like in my house all the time. Right. So March of last (laughs) year, (laughs) it was, it was still that shift, right? Like I was no longer allowed to, you know, go out and play with my friends. I couldn't go to the bar. I couldn't go to dinner. Going to the store was a whole thing. Um, Right. So like we, we became permanently encapsulated in our homes. And I think like, you know, if you're in a place where you can walk around the block or, you know, you have a yard and you can step out for a minute or, you know, even if you can take a call on your, your porch or your balcony instead of, you know, doing it from your office, you know, definitely like just change your scenery. I like to also along those lines, like, uh, one day a week, I'll change. Uh, I have a pretty nice office in my house. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one day a week, just for like a change of scenery, I'll work from my dining room just to like mix it up a little bit, right? Like change it up, get something, you know, look out the window instead of staring at the wall like I normally do, <laughs> get a little change of perspective. Um, so that's definitely one. Number two definitely has been like talking to my friends, video chatting, like maintaining those connections. Yeah. Um, you know, I can't, hang out with my friends all the time, or I can't see my family yeah. uh, as much as I'd like to. So, you know, doing those video calls has definitely helped me kind of get through it all, has, has helped me kept my sanity. And then three, um, do something like you really enjoy, right? Like at the end of the day, I kind of have this routine where I uh, sign off every day at uh, like 6.30, 7 o'clock. I take a couple hours to, you know, just kind of wind down have a cocktail, do whatever. And then, you know, if I have some stuff to finish up, our schedules are so much more flexible now, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, you don't have a commute, you can do little things here and there. So yeah, so, you know, come back to it and at the end of the day, but definitely set like those limits where you can somewhat delineate working and, and, and being at home. Yeah, I think uh, the working in a different room is a great advice. I'm going to give it a try because I get stuck in the office and um, there's my husband's computer, there's my computer, and then my then my daughter has like a playground in there, but she constantly see me in front of the monitor. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm, I need to step away from technology. And we try to take go on walks, but and it's colder. Even if it's North Carolina, it's a colder weather. So thank you for sharing. That's awesome. And have you seen the latest DC movie that just came out? I haven't. It, it, it is on my watch watch list. Uh, I, I did. So I saw the Justice League, like the theatrical edition mm-hmm. um, in 2017, I guess, 2016 when it first came out. But the, the new one is four hours long. So it's a, it's a bit of a commitment. Mm-hmm. So that's definitely it's on my list. I may do it this weekend. It is supposed to be like in the 60s. So I might actually head out and not yeah, stay right. in. <laughs> um, but then also like Falcon, Falcon and Winter Soldier dropped today on Disney Plus. So that's also uh, on my list as well. That's a series. It's not even a movie. Yeah. I, yeah. Feel, I feel extremely betrayed because I just found out that my husband watched a new Justice of League without me. And I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> this is our thing. He's like, am I supposed to wait for you every time? There's an wait, so, so we watched the whole thing last night. Like it's like, <laughs> after, like it's four hours long. I don't know when he watched it, but I know he watched it without me. Okay. So, <laughs> so and then I discovered it literally a couple hours before I, I got on the, on the interview with you. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this. And I'm still like salty about it. But he told me it was all right. He, he told me it was good, but he usually doesn't tell me how he feels because he knows that I really don't want to hear anything. So I have to like go watch it, but it's four hour long that I did not know. Yeah. I've heard it. I've heard it's good. And uh, I read an article today that uh, so I guess the original like the theatrical release had a 
like a 40% Rotten Tomato score and this one has like an 80% score. So okay. I didn't, I didn't think the first one was bad. I know there's a bunch of haters out there that think it was horrible. <laughs> I don't uh, think it was bad. Yeah. I thought it was okay. Right. Like I'm not, it wasn't the best superhero movie I've ever seen, but like it was good. You think it's because of the actors? Like I felt like some of the acting was a little bit on the. Yeah, it wasn't. It was also somewhat like uh, it was a little slow. The pacing yeah. could have been better. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. I see what you mean. Yeah. Well, for those who are not DC Marvel fans, uh, saying thank you for bearing with us in this conversation as we close. Uh, as always, this has been so much fun. I think we might have you back sooner. Then two years, or at least a year. It was last year, actually. And so we definitely appreciate you. Uh, wish you well. You have our support. If somebody wanted to reach out to you, how do they do that? They can find me on LinkedIn or on Facebook, all the social medias. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm pretty easy to find. Awesome. Yeah. And I'll put all of the, I'll put some resources and article in my show notes as well. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for joining the conversation and we hope you enjoyed it. Please do us three small favors. Follow us on Apple iTunes and leave us a review. Like and comment on all social media. Sign up to our newsletter on the website programmaticdigest.com which sends you one reminder every new episode or once a month as a recap. For any articles, topics, and the guest information, you can find it in the show notes on our website programmaticdigest.com. Thank you and stay curious, my friend.